you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Today, we begin with the very latest on COVID-19 with UC San Francisco uh, infectious disease specialist, professor of medicine at UCSF, Dr. Peter Chin Hong. Dr. Chin Hong, a very good Monday to you. Hope you had a wonderful New Year weekend. I did, Larry. I hope you also had a wonderful New Year's. It was restful. It was reflective. And it's a little bit of trepidation just thinking about the chaos of Omicron. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I've been fortunate that in in um, my arena, the people that I was with over the holidays, no one contracted uh, COVID-19 or the Omicron variant, but we're just seeing these increasing numbers of cases, thankfully not keeping pace uh, hospitalizations. But your thoughts about what we're seeing and when this might peak? So I think um, what we're seeing is really... Uh, tremendous and you know breathtaking rises in cases but luckily our hospitalization is really not even close to where we were last winter this time really speaking to the power of vaccines and also a little bit to the nature of omicron um, i think that we're still in the middle of going up uh, because we have the triple jump of thanksgiving uh, christmas and new year's <clears throat> each time it's like eating an ice cream cone with three scoops of ice cream on it, it's a little bit unstable and you don't really get to the bottom of that first scoop before the other one is is going to be toppled. So that's kind of where we are. And I think we're going to peak two weeks from now, which is kind of like, taking into consideration what happened at New Year's. Well, and and it, I think it would be very helpful to know for unvaccinated COVID patients, um, what percentage of those that we're seeing go into the hospital and to what degree of seriousness their symptoms are? Because that wouldn't that be instructive in understanding um, the degree of symptoms produced by Omicron? Yes, definitely. Although we would say that um, in California, in the United States, we're not like South Africa was at the beginning of their peak uh, because they were mainly all Omicron. But right now we still have about 40 percent Delta, although we don't have a lot of data. If you had to wager with me, I would say most, you know, very, very ill people in the hospital have Delta and uh, the ones that are not so ill who are unvaccinated probably have Omicron. But they're still in the hospital nevertheless. Um, and, um, you know, we at UCSF have probably seen a five-fold increase in hospital, but still 
uh, about half of where we were this time last year. Yeah, it's five-fold increase from what were fairly low numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And and um, when someone is hospitalized with COVID-19, do you know if they're routinely uh, checked to see which variant of COVID they have? No, that's a great question. We don't normally check to see which variant they have. Uh, I think the assumption is right now that statistically uh, most people are going to have Omicron, although, you know, with 40 percent of Delta still circulating in parts of the U.S., which is, you know, from you know, around Christmas time, the CDC data, uh, it's hard to tell. And, and sequencing only happens after the fact and in sort of a select group of people, not every sample that sequence. So I think, you know, we're, we're kind of not, um, you know, cognizant of that exactly. I think at the end of the day, uh, when analyses come out, they will tell us what we've probably seen in South Africa, which is if you get Omicron, you probably, if you go to the hospital, you probably spend fewer days and you're less likely to go to the ICU as an unvaccinated person. Which, of course, doesn't mean you, you can't uh, feel really crummy and, and, and be very sick. We've just, you know, we hear these anecdotal stories of coaches and athletes and people who've been talking publicly and fully vaccinated people saying they were still pretty wiped out, not needing to be hospitalized, not, not um, with life-threatening breathing problems, but nonetheless pretty sick. Yes, exactly. You, you you don't want to get this if you could. Uh, it's you know it's like getting a bad flu if you're if you, you happen to get it and you don't go to the hospital or even if you go to the hospital. Meaning that you know we focus on those days when you're transmissible, but there's a whole aftermath as well with you know uh, days of not feeling well, feeling fatigued, and and um, you know an impact on school and work productivity. So a chance for you to ask Dr. Peter Chen Hong of UC San Francisco any questions you have on COVID-19. We're at 866-893-KPECC. I'm sure there's a lot of pent-up demand for questions with Dr. PCH. As uh, last week, we didn't have live programs. We're so glad to have Dr. Peter Chin Hong back with us today, uh, who actually jumped in at just the last minute because of a, a scheduling challenge we had. And we so appreciate uh, how with his busy schedule, he's able to jump in and willing to do it. 866-893-KPCC. You can also email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and your first name. Dr. Chin Hong, Los Angeles County is requiring staff uh, at private and public schools to wear high-grade masks. They're also tightening the rules for athletes to uh, compete in school sports. Uh, The high-grade masks they describe are the multi-ply surgical masks as well as N95 and KN95 masks. Do you think, given the transmissibility of Omicron, that makes sense? It makes complete sense. We're not dealing with the other uh, variants anymore. This is a very, very transmissible variant that can probably linger in the air for longer than uh, Delta or Alpha or, or the California variant. So we need to up our mask game if we want to stay um, you know, uninfected. 
866-893-KPCC. And I was actually looking to buy some N95s. I didn't have any of the masks, so I was I was learning a bit about them. But I, I saw what is this NIOSH certification uh, to determine there's some degree of testing of the N95 mask, even though it might not be a hospital grade uh, or, or uh, professionally fit N95. Your thoughts about uh, the best way to, to determine that you're getting an authentically um, uh, examined N95? Yeah, so uh, generally if you put uh, sunglasses on or regular glasses and you breathe, and if, if it fogs up, you're probably not getting a great fit. Okay, so that makes it easy. 866-893-KPCC. Jacob in Mount Washington says, given the meteoric rise in Omicron, is there a chance virtually all of us end up contracting COVID over the next few weeks? It is possible that um, each of us will get various degrees of infection. Um, It's not a certainty, of course, but um, it's very, very hard to escape this kind of transmissible infection. Um, Nevertheless, you don't want to get it. And obviously, even if you do get it, you can decrease the viral exposure and that probably makes an impact. And that's why masking is good. So in other words, if if you get like a whole ton of virus, you probably get much sicker than if you get, uh, you know, a little bit of virus getting in. Um, So, you know, whether or not we'll all have a combination of natural and or vaccine immunity with boosters um, and kind of give us a lull will probably be my prediction. We'll probably have, you know, after this Omicron surge, we'll probably have uh, somewhat of a respite. We'll go back to you know, sort of like maybe even uh, pre-2019 you know, life um, for some parts. And then there may be another variant coming back again. Whether or not it will come in the winter or not uh, will be the question. By then, we probably have recasted how we look at, you know, whether or not we're impacted by looking at hospitalization and the strain on hospitals instead of following cases if enough, uh, if the deaths are low enough. My mind keeps going to the best case scenarios and the and the worst case. So I'm thinking best case, perhaps Omicron pushes out Delta. Yes. And because the symptoms are lower, this is sort of how we move from pandemic to an endemic, more manageable level of, of COVID-19. The worst case is, I'm thinking, you know, with, with the ability of variants to develop and move so quickly as Delta did and as Omicron has done, what if, heaven forbid, we end up with a variant that has the communicability of Omicron, but is far more lethal? I know that is a horror scenario, but I'm comforted by the fact that even in Omicron or Delta, what have you, uh, when you look at the performance of the vaccines, they're still keeping people away from the hospital. I was really um, struck by the UK data showing that, you know, if you get two vaccines only, that, again, decreases your odds of going to the hospital by close to 70%. If you get a booster, it's close to 90%. So it's still performing well. 
uh, in all comers, um, despite you know not preventing you from having mild symptoms or no symptoms. We're at 866-893-KPCC. Joe in Culver City says, I'm confused about all the different tests, the rapid, the antigen, the PCR. Which are the most accurate? Which am I actually likely to be able to find? And how worried should I be about the potential for a false positive? Oh, that's a great question from Joe. So I think the way I really break down the testing is to divide the reason why you want to get tested. One is for diagnosis, which many people think about as a for a test usually. And in that case, the PCR is really, uh, you know, the the best, meaning that it will be able to pick up early disease faster um, or more accurately. The, The rapid test is a great test for transmissibility. So when the viral load is high enough, it's going to be turning positive. But if the viral load is low, like early in the course of disease, uh, you may get a false negative. And I think right now with so much circulating virus, that's what we're most worried about. Joe's question speaks to another aspect, which is a false positive. And that definitely happens, but it happens usually when the viral load in the community is low so that the chances of you having a positive uh, being true is is lower. So... That's basically how I think about it. Yeah, my my son has an acquaintance who got a a positive antigen test before doing travel for the holidays, and then uh, you had to get a follow up PCR. It ended up uh, was negative, but Mm -hmm. um, but but there are apparently false positives for for the rapid tests. Yeah, they're definitely going to be false positives. So I guess at the end of the day, if people get a test on a rapid test that they don't believe you want to confirm it with a PCR. Of course, it's harder to get a PCR. You have to line up these days and all of that. But if you're scratching your head as the result, uh, I think confirming it with a PCR will will be the best uh, uh, strategy to take. Isabella in Thousand Oaks says, my sister just tested positive for COVID. She was inside for a couple of hours working, uh, wearing a KN95. There were other people there masked and socially distanced. I'm curious about the etiquette in that situation, Isabella asks. I think my uh, sister already informed people of her positive test. Was that the right thing to do? Yes, it was. But uh, right now with California workplace guidance, Isabella's sister doesn't even have to do the work herself, per se, if it was in the workplace. She simply has to let the employer know. And the employer, in an anonymous way, would let people know that there was a potential exposure and they should go and get tested. Um, but people you know, do that as on their own as well. And I would say there's so much uh, COVID going around. Hopefully, we've destigmatized COVID so that it's easier to tell people you had it, and you might have a they might have had a potential exposure. Because you know, I think that's been the limitation uh, before, and that's why at home testing is also very popular because it's you know it takes you out of that public forum, uh, so to speak. But hopefully, people feel no shame about having COVID, and uh, it's just a matter of of informing people that they should just get tested, but not to be panicked. Linda in Pasadena says, for those hospitalized with COVID-19, do we know what percentages of those people are vaccinated and boosted? Um, we, we don't know the exact data in the United States yet, but I would say that 
anecdotally in my experience, uh, more than 90% of people are still unvaccinated. And the people who are vaccinated coming in, they tend to be uh, uh, very old um, and generally unboosted if, if they're very old, as well as immunocompromised. We do have recent data from the pediatric population, which is really interesting, showing that, um, you know, in, in I think six cities, the vast majority of kids who are hospitalized were unvaccinated. Something really striking, like <clears throat> 99.6% of cases. So even in Omicron, uh, that's holding up. Although, again, you're still seeing a little bit of breakthroughs in vaccinated folks, but they tend to be unboosted, older, and immunocompromised. And why is it we we still have so little concrete data? This is the thing that that I really don't understand almost two years into this, why every case isn't, uh, there isn't a debriefing, data isn't entered into an accessible database, and we don't have more hard numbers, you know, right at the public's fingertips. That's because we don't have a national information system. It's very piecemeal. That's really hindered so many parts of our pandemic from distribution of tests to collection of data, as you point out. When you look at a country like Israel or the UK, every time you get a test, every time you go to the hospital, that's instantly entered into a national database. That's why our best data comes not from the United States. We always get it like weeks later. They come from the UK and Israel because of that national, not only national health system, but national health information system. I guess I don't understand why it would be difficult for the CDC to create a website through which every healthcare provider in the country can enter their COVID data. And um, you know, I, I know they're burdened with a lot of, a lot of um, record keeping as it is, but it would just seem like the value of that would be tremendous and, and achievable for the CDC to do that. I agree, but it, Right now, there's so many, you know, being doing research myself, there's so many layers of bureaucracy one has to go through because of different systems, you know, releasing uh, protected health information, privacy, uh, having local, uh, you know, institutional review boards uh, approve it, as well as the national institutional review boards and, um, you know, ethics committees. So I think all of that leads to a less agile and a little bit of clunky system. All right. Well, and again, I would think you could keep the anonymity of the people, but still mm -hmm. still share share numbers. Uh, Eva in Altadena emailed us at atcomments at kpcc.org saying she read a CNN article uh, about the drug Evusheld, uh, which has been approved by the FDA. Why isn't it being talked about more? Are doctors starting to prescribe it now? Yes, uh, we are definitely prescribing Evusheld. And for the listeners, Evusheld is really uh, incredible because it's a monoclonal antibody, but it's long acting. So for people who can't make antibodies on their own, like say Colin Powell, who had multiple myeloma, and it sort of shut down his antibody making factory uh, because of that disease, you can get pre-made antibodies that sticks around in you for a while. So it's almost like getting a short-term vaccine not as short-acting as the monoclonal antibodies people normally hear about. So it's really good for people who can't get a vaccine or for people who can't mount an antibody response. The problem with, with Evusheld is that we don't have enough of it, uh, just like with everything else. So 
it's really come started off with a trickle and different hospital systems had to really come up with priorities and even that isn't enough to figure out how to distribute it so we have to do random selection of people who are eligible so that's kind of where we are it's going to pick up um you know this year but uh you know with many other therapeutics, I think that's going to really change uh, our community protection levels. I also wanted to ask you about isolation and quarantine rules. Um, sort of, you know, what what is the difference between isolation and quarantine? Uh, and and what do you do if your the person you live with uh, tests positive? Uh, should you isolate yourself immediately from that person in your household? Yeah, so great questions here, Larry. So the difference between isolation and quarantine is whether or not you have the disease or whether or not you were exposed to the disease. So if you have the disease, you're isolating yourself from society, you're isolating yourself from the rest of the world. And that's really by keeping the people who are sick away from the people who are not sick. When you have been exposed to something, you don't even know if you have it. So you're kind of quarantining yourself, which is like, I guess you can think of it as a sort of milder version of isolation, which is that, for example, in schools, if you've been exposed, uh, you can uh, sort of like be a little bit more austere, but you're not necessarily taking yourself out of society's activities. So that's the big difference in terms of people being infected at home. Well, the same rules apply like throughout the pandemic, which is you want to have as, um, you know, a, a room as away from the others as possible. If you can't afford a room or space when you're in common spaces, you wear a mask. Um, you want to have, um, you know, good ventilation. So you crack the windows open about what you don't need to do anymore is to clean every surface uh, all the time, because we know that the air is the issue with COVID transmission now, not necessarily the surfaces. Uh, we have another question about cloth masks. Are they, um, effective at all? Should everybody who's been wearing a cloth mask replace it with either a surgical N95 or KN95? Yeah, so in the era of Omicron, um, whenever you use a mask, it should be a surgical mask right now at the minimum in the outside, uh, you know, crowded indoor areas um, in the outside world, I mean. Um, So, but you know, you're still going to get some protection from a cloth mask. Again, it's a gradation of protection, not like a zero or one phenomenon. So wearing any mask is better than none. Let's just start with that. And if you have a surgical mask, that's going to be great. It's going to be higher quality. Um, And if you still want to be fashion forward, you can put your nice pattern mask on top of your surgical mask, which is called double masking. So those are the ways to think about that level. The next level will be a KN95, which is as good as an N95, but it's easier to wear. Um, and then there's an N95 mask, which is the sort of Tesla of masks, but they're a little bit smelly, harder to wear for a very, very long period. Uh, so if you can't wear it for very long, you're better off doing some of the other versions of masks. All right. Dr. Peter Chin Hong with us on AirTalk. Uh, we had a listener, and I, I'm sorry that I've misplaced the question, so I can't give the listener credit. Oh, I did find it. Grayson Culver City said, one of my friends uh, won't go to exercise outside with me, like at the beach, for example. She's concerned about virus lingering in the air. Should we be concerned about that? 
no, we should not be concerned about outdoor transmission, even in the era of Omicron, except if you're crowding a lot of people together, uh, you know, maybe in a mosh pit or something. Um, but but there's so much wind blowing all over the place, especially on the beach, that I would not worry about it too much uh, at this moment. I've been surprised because um, on my daily walks, I've been seeing more people even by themselves, walking not close to anyone else on, you know, quiet streets, wearing a mask. And I was just wondering if 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 there's any need for that at all, because given what you're saying, it sounds like that's unnecessary. I think it's generally unnecessary. Sometimes people keep masks on as well, uh, not necessarily in that context, but sort of like going in and out of stores because they don't want to take the mask off or manipulate yeah. uh, their face. But on an outdoor beach setting, um, it's really going to be very, very difficult to acquire a virus that way unless someone's coming up to you and then coughing on you, um, you know. <laughs> Hopefully you know. not. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we're at 866-893-KPCC. We have a couple of questions somewhat related. Chuck in Temple City says, can you contract Omicron and Delta at the same time? If not, why not? And we had another listener, John, in the City of Industry, who emailed us, is it possible to get a cold and COVID at the same time? So the first question, uh, it's not going to be very probable to get both Delta and Omicron at the same time exactly. Of course, lots of people could have had Delta and then subsequently get Omicron. And interestingly, as a side note, South African researchers showed that if you got Omicron, you actually get protected against getting future Delta, which is a great thing yeah. because Delta is bad. So, um, so the reason why is because they all compete for the same bed, which is the ACE2 receptor to get inside the body. And they don't um, sort of like only one sort of like prevails. And if Delta and Omicron were in a transmission competition, Omicron will win hands down. So it's always going to like beat Delta to the punch. It's going to get in much faster. Um, so that's why I think you'll be preferentially infected with Omicron if given a choice. Um, in terms of the other question about getting multiple viruses at the same time, definitely possible. In fact, I was on um, actually just this morning with uh, Ryan Seacrest and he was saying, what about flu So that is definitely possible. <laughs> we haven't uh, oh, no. peaked on influenza yet. Um, and interestingly, in that kid study I talked to you about uh, from the CDC um, with the hospitalized children in the U.S. so far, as much as one third of the kids had more than one virus uh, in that population. Of course, kids get a lot more respiratory viruses than adults do, but nevertheless, it just is proof of concept that you can get both at the same time. There's nothing stopping you. So definitely get your flu shot as well. All right. And what about the presentation of symptoms? If if you have symptoms you think could be a cold, could be allergies, uh, could be the flu, could be COVID, it, it, should anybody who has any sort of, of the symptoms of COVID test? Yes, you should definitely test uh, for both. And the reason why you test for both, um, well, first of all, we all know what, why you should test for COVID because it, it helps you sort of like understand how transmissible you are and keep yourself away from others. Um, but soon you'll be testing for uh, COVID also because we're going to get access to pills that you can take. And that gets to the reason why you should know if you have flu because you can get Tamiflu and for a five-day course and 
uh, it can cut down the number of days of symptoms if you diagnose it early. And a lot, it's very, very hard to get diagnosed, to get a test for flu. We don't have at-home testing yet, so you kind of have to go to some place, urgent care or something, get tested. But I think the juice is worth the squeeze for that respect. Dr. Peter Chin Hong joining us as he does weekly on Air Talk to answer your questions about COVID-19. We have so many good ones, and I'm, I'm sorry we can't get to all of them today. We'll try and carry some of these questions over tomorrow uh, so that our uh, expert tomorrow can answer some of these questions. Dr. Chin Hong, the FDA has expanded the Pfizer booster eligibility to kids 12 to 15. You recommend that for uh, for parents getting their kids that booster now? Uh, yes, I do recommend it. Uh, of course, we still, um, you know, wonder about, I uh, want to make sure that the risk of myocarditis in um, in boys is, is going to be relatively low, which, you know, from, from the uh, Israeli data so far, it seems to be the case. Um, so I think that the reason why I think it's a good idea, first of all, there's Omicron now. We talked about the reason of or the rationale for a boosted person uh, getting more protection than person who got two vaccines, not just against infection, but also hospitalization. The second reason is that most vaccines come in threes. And the reason is that uh, the first two is kind of like what we call priming the immune system. And then the last one is several months later, which is like, a reminder to the immune system, that's called a boost. So if you look at hepatitis B, human papillomavirus, measles, mumps, and rubella, they all follow this pattern of three. So the third dose in this case is not only good for boosting against Omicron, but it's good for the long run, I think, at the end of the day. And if you look at what's happening in the six-month to five-year-old trials, they're also going to turn that likely into three-dose series because two doses weren't enough in that population. So I think at the end of the day, everything is going to go to three. I'm not sure we're going to go to four and five and six for the general population, but at least three seems like uh, a decent, um, you know, has decent biologic plausibility. You were mentioning Israel earlier, and they're going to four, as I understand it, for older Israelis, um, particularly once uh, there have been several months that have passed since the third dose. Your thoughts about doing that here? I think it's a little bit premature right now, and um, but it, I can imagine that happening, particularly for people whose immune system didn't take. So say an immunocompromised individual um, I do know from hepatitis B data that sometimes people need four or five shots uh, because uh, they just didn't take in the beginning because maybe uh, people's immune system waxes and wanes in, in some populations. But for the general population, uh, it's really too early. Uh, for now, I, I, I think that three doses, if given that paradigm from before, will continue to protect against serious disease, hospitalization, and death. And if we use infection only as our goalposts, will be set up to this never-ending cycle of getting a booster every three months, every four months, forever. And I, I, I'm not sure that society is willing to be at that point as yet. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, thank you for doing a doubleheader today, uh, being on with Ryan earlier and joining us today on Air Talk. We sure appreciate it. Have a terrific day and a very good week. We'll look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks. Same to you, and Happy New Year again. Happy New Year. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, UC San Francisco, a medical center where he's professor of medicine and infectious disease specialist. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.